0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network we all take on different roles every day one minute you're a parent the next a chef or a driver
1: Uh Hello welcome to Pardew's Hot Pants, the nostalgic spin-off series from the Five Year Plan podcast. Questionable name, great content. Let's just move on to that. And I'm joined today by two people to look back at a pivotal time in Crystal Palace's history, the 98-99 season. When a lot went down uh, and we're using the Athletics excellent coverage uh, with their rebooted series looking back at 99 and of course that means that the one and only Dom Fifield is here to talk me through it. Dom, how are you doing?
2: I'm good, Jim. Are you okay?
1: I'm okay, mate. I'm very good indeed. And joining us then to talk about 98-99 is a man who was quite literally there at the time and led the team to survival almost single-handedly. It's the one and only Dean Austin. Dino, how are you doing? how you doing mate you okay not too bad at all how
3: are you doing well yeah good mate good healthy mind healthy body and all
1: that you know love it you were just talking to us off air actually and i was thinking do you want to be my life coach (laughs) do (laughs) you know actually really inspiring about healthy mind healthy body it was great (laughs)
3: <laughs> got to do it mate.
1: <laughs> um right before we crack on i need to remind you that the athletic are a world class team of writers covering every club including the best coverage of crystal palace their subscription-based website and app completely ad-free no annoying pop-ups just brilliant articles welcome to the new home of football writing and if you visit the athletic.co.uk forward slash fyp you can start a seven-day free trial and receive 50 percent off your yearly subscription now as part of this rebooted series dom has written three articles around, let's face it, a time when he could have written about 20 articles. So much happened at Palace at that time. There's an article on Sasa Church's NATO bombing protests. There's an article on the fans' night at the Fairfield Halls when it all went down. And, of course, there's an excellent article with Dino and Andy Martin talking about that Norwich game in April '99, which, of course, we'll come on to soon. Before we do that, Dino, I'm keen to get your opinion on Project Restart and where we are with football returning, obviously as a former player, as a current coach, what are your thoughts on whether football should come back, when it will come back, or sort of where we stand?
3: Um, well, I think that um, I think everyone would like to see it come back. I think that it would give, um, I think it would give a huge boost. I think we've uh, obviously we've been in a period that is. Um, you know, it's affected everybody around the world, and obviously everyone in our own country. But I think that it would it would give a massive a massive lift to um, to the country if we could if we can find a way of being able to do it. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of reports on it, and you know, I've kind of got fed up with reading about pundits and what their opinions are, etc. etc. I've kind of really switched off from that now really I'm not not really interested I think as I I said to you before we went on air that you know listening listening to Steve talk about it um, on breakfast television and and what have you two three weeks ago two weeks ago uh, you know he spoke so well with such common sense if they can find a way um, and, and I think Steve's words were playing a game of football as the amount of testing that's going to be going on would be safer than going to Sainsbury's. Now I've read someone come out today and said, yeah, but I have a choice. Like, it's like it would be safer than going to Sainsbury's and someone said, yeah, but I have a choice if I want to go to Sainsbury's and this, that and the other. You know, I, I read things, I, I read a lot of stuff and I read stuff in regards to stats and this, that and the other and and a lot of stuff is around vulnerable people, people that have got vulnerable, like there's a vulnerability like this this disease can attack uh, people that, uh, you know, I, my wife is convinced that I had this when we first went into lockdown. and I isolated for 14 days, but my wife is convinced. I started off with aching limbs, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Oh. Um, Went in, I, I laid in bed for two days, I had a fever, and then it went into a cough, and I had a cough for the best part of two and a half to three weeks. Wow. So my wife is convinced. Now, my wife... Is someone who's medically vulnerable. Like my my wife has uh, a condition that if she if this was if she was to get this, this could have serious implications on her. Now she never got it, yeah, and my kids never got it. So, but it's about being sensible. For me, if someone uh, someone asked me this question in the week, Dean, if I was a professional, if it was me now, would I be prepared to go back and play? And my answer is is that with all the measures that they are showing that they're putting in place and the the amount of testing that they're putting in place. I mean, you're talking about all these professional footballers getting tested almost every day, daily, before games, after games, daily. They're going to get treated better than what the general public are because we can't get tests for love nor money. So I think if, if if things are being put in place and shown, you know, we are... What will happen, though? Like, someone will get it and then there'll be a huge panic. Oh, we should cancel the season. This app. And that's ridiculous because someone could get the flu tomorrow.
2: Don't we have to accept that people are going to get it? I mean, footballers will get it. Yeah,
3: Of course. But what if someone was asking me and I got asked this, and, and to be fair, my wife just lo- was looking at me when I was answering this question and, and just said, well, because this is the way it always is for me. Professional football is my life. Professional football is my job. Mm. professional football pays my bills and supports my family mm. that's what it does if I for example was asked as a professional footballer would I be prepared prep Answer: yes you've shown me that it is then you're going to have to go into quarantine for six weeks into a hotel because that's what then that's my job that's what I do mm. and I do that for my club
1: I have to admit, if there's one person, one footballer, that the virus couldn't take down, it's definitely Dean Austin. That would be my first, <laughs> my first answer to that. Um, Dom, do we think there is... Uh, we've seen Glenn Murray come out and say that some players are sort of uh, nervous about coming back, but do we think overall there is a an encouragement from the players to come back from this, or do you think...?
2: I think, I think so, the general impression I get. There, there are obviously players out there who are concerned with good reason. I'd spoke with an agent the other day who said that two of his, only two of his players were expressing concern. One of whom was a warrior. he said, and the other <laughs> right. one, his wife is pregnant. So he, obviously right. there's, a, there's a medical reason, potentially he doesn't want to pick up the virus that way. Um, but very early on, I mean, go back three weeks, you um, we ran a ran a piece expressing the concerns of some footballers who are being vocal in it. But I, I suspect the vast majority are desperate to get back, absolutely desperate to get back playing. I imagine they're absolutely bored out of their brains at the moment at home, wanting to get back. And they're missing the the camaraderie and you know, we, we talk about school, I've got two school kids, I mean two kids who are at school age and and they miss their friends. I imagine yeah. <laughs> you could almost transpose that sort of emotion onto footballers. Footballers are used to being around each other. They're used to that sort of camaraderie down at the training ground, yeah. being a unit of you know, mates, basically. And and they must be they must be really bored. I mean, that's the, the reality of it. But I don't get the impression that I know we, there is concern, certainly amongst the clubs at the bottom, about rushing it back. But I don't get the impression that football authorities or indeed the government are really rushing it they're taking all the necessary precautions they're they're exploring the science of it and trying to work out when we're going to be ready to go back um, to playing in some capacity Um, so you know put put your trust in them and hope that some kind of compromise is is reached in the weeks ahead.
1: Yeah Dean it it must be difficult for players being at home self-isolating to keep up the work I guess I guess the clubs are giving them all Schedules and stuff to do in terms of their own physical work and stuff, but it must be difficult when you're on your own as opposed to in the gym or at the training ground.
3: Well, yes, it's a motivation thing. I think that I, for me, I believe that we should, when it's safe, get back to playing this. And the biggest problem for me, for the players, is going to be acclimatizing from training, where it's got to be like a sort of bit of a pre-season. Obviously the players will have been doing programmes and what have you to keep their fitness up and what have you, but there's nothing like... The game is faster than what it's ever been. Yeah. And and the biggest problem that the players are going to have, and I think it is a good idea where they're saying that they're going to allow five substitutions uh, per game, but I think that that is a good... It's like, common sense. Okay. Because the hardest thing for the players is going to be physically acclimatising between pre-season... Which is what this is going to be, like a preseason program, and then to get playing. Because mm-hmm. what's the situation in regards to playing games? You know, normally you have a bit held up. You have end up anything between four and seven preseason games in the yeah. build-up. The players aren't going to have that. I think that the hardest thing. You know, I was speaking to a I won't name him, but I was speaking to a, a, an international player three days ago, and I asked him about how he feels about it. Is he is he sceptical about playing again? And he said, no, I, I'm not really sceptical about playing. I, I'm, I'm quite happy with what they're saying with the measures. He said, the biggest, the hardest the thing is going to be playing with no crowd. Yeah. Because you're actually playing a Premier League game, but there ain't going to be any crowd.
2: How much do he you guys so as, as a, a professional? professional Yeah. How, you, how much do you feed off the crowd noise and, and the electricity oh, from the crowd?
3: Massive. Yeah. Honestly, there is no, there is no, when you go out, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate I've played at high level, but I, can't, I cannot tell you the buzz that you get off the crowd when you enter that arena and, it, and you hear the crowd and what have you. There's no, it's the biggest, um, it's the best drug Like, it's a drug, but when you don't play, it's a drug that you can't get back, but it's a drug that you crave. It's the best feeling ever.
1: Yeah, it's going to be like, every game's going to be like a pre-season game.
3: Well, it's going to be hard. Obviously, I think the... I think the hardest thing for the players, as in being a player now, is going to be the motivation, the motivation side. If you're a team down... I think if you're a team at the top, I mean, the teams that are in the middle that probably can't go up and can't go down, I think it's going to be, I think you're going to see some crazy results. You're going to see teams that are down the bottom probably whipping some teams in the bottom. Because the motivation levels, whereas the ones down the bottom are literally, they are going to be scrapping for their lives. Mm. Um, so I think the challenge is going to be, especially for the clubs in the mid, in around that middle of it, it's going to be the motivation for sure. But maybe after not playing for 12, 14 weeks, by the time they get back to playing, the motivation should be the love it again.
4: Stand up, baby. Yeah. Let me see where you coming from. Stand yeah. up, baby. Yeah. Let me see. Hey,
0: hit me. Good God.
1: Speaking of motivation, let's go back 21 or well, 22 years, in fact, actually, um, and talk about you joining Palace and the craziness that ensued uh, with the club after that. Before we talk about you arriving at Palace in the summer of uh, 1998, I just want to dial back a bit about your career before that. Youth team player at Watford, yeah. local club, obviously born in Hemel, which is yeah. my neck of the woods now. Um yeah. Then go to St Albans, get a move to South End, big move to Spurs, and then come to Palace. My main question I've always wanted to ask this to a fullback is you surely didn't start off as a fullback. No one starts off at a fullback, surely. Where, what was your first position? Or did, were you one of these rare people that was just a defensive fullback? No,
3: all fullbacks start off as central midfield players, mate. I started off as a central midfield player, and that was where I played. Until I was about sixteen, I was playing for a, a grassroots team. I mean I, I had obviously the academy system was very different then back in the back in the day. I was at Watford as a youngster between twelve and fourteen. I had spells at Luton and Arsenal between the ages of fourteen to sixteen. Um, but then I, start, I was playing for a grassroots club in Kingsbury called Forest United and the manager there ended up um, converting me, sort of said to me, look, you know, I ended up playing, at that time I ended up oh, playing I mean. right back and left back, actually. So I played left back quite a bit as well. But then after that year, uh, one of the big influences on my life, which was Tom Wally, um, invited me to go back to Watford and, and, and do a scholarship. And, I, and that was it. I played right, played right back all the way through. Um, done my time there. At the end of that, I was going through a bit of um, a bit of a transitional phase. At that point, when I went there, Brian Taylor had just left. Um, Dave Bassett had come in. Dave Bassett come in and then got removed after towards the end of my my scholarship. Mm-hmm. And Tom Wally ended up going to work with the first team. Um, and Tom Wally said to me at the end of it, he said, "Look, I'm going to release you, um, because." Basically, we haven't got the time to develop you to get you into our first team. I, you're going to be a late developer, mate. I'm, you will be a player. If you, believe in what, if you believe in yourself, you work hard. You take all the things that you've learned. He said, if you keep pushing, I'm convinced you'll have a career in the game.
1: And that's clearly uh, advice that you took on in the rest of your career, because that's exactly the sort of advice that I would associate with you, someone that just worked very, very hard to get where they did.
3: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest things now in, um, I believe in professional football is, is is having resilience and dealing with setbacks. It is, you know, a lot of, um, I think it's the biggest thing with young kids, you know, I, I still coach young kids now, Like mm-hmm. I coach kids from six years of age up to 16, um, as well as obviously done the roles that I've done. But one of the biggest things that I say to, to young kids is, is about resilience and trying to help them recover from things that don't go well, from making mistakes and teaching them that you've got to, you've got to use it as, as a learning curve. Well,
1: there was plenty of learning curves for everyone at Palace at that time. Uh, you joined yeah. on a on a Bosman. I think it was on a, on a Bosman from Spurs in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure no one at that time, well, I guess player-wise, I'm sure no one was aware what was going to happen. But I'm wondering, when you're having those negotiations with Palace at that time, having come from Spurs, was there anything that made you think, did you get any sort of whiff of you know financial irregularity or anything that made you think, oh, this, this, this ain't right?
3: No, I mean, I, um, I joined Palace for two reasons. The first reason was Terry Venables, because he had already signed me before at Tottenham. And the second reason was that I come to win. And the and the dream that was or the project that was sold to me um, was that uh, I think we've got a real, real chance here of of being winners. I, I listen, I've won promotions both as as a player, three or four promotions as a player, three or four promotions as a coach. And I've always I'm used to winning, I'm not used to losing. I'm not I'm I'm I'm, I'm used to being in situations of, of adversity where my resilience has to come out and shine through. But I joined the because of the project, the project excited me. Um, and I honestly was genuinely really, really excited about it.
2: But you you joined a, a squad that became increasingly bloated, didn't you? I mean, by the time probably about September, October time that year, we must have had 30, 30 32 first-team players. And across the back, we had about 13 centre-halves, and quite a few fullbacks. So I think Mark Edwards, he was still there when you joined as as well. Yeah,
3: he was still there, yeah. I mean,
2: did, did did anyone, did you just look at that and think, wow, we've got so many options here. Well, we, we should, once we click, we'll storm this league. Or, or did part of you think, well, hold on a second, we're a championship club.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think. I think that when you're a player, at the time I was 28, I think that as a player, you don't look at things like that. You look at, um, sort of you look at it and you, and you and you look and you see that there's players like Atilio Lombardo, Matt Jansen, you know, you see players like that that are already in the building, Mark Edworthy, Andy Linegan, you know, you see these players already there and then you think, Right. okay, you get sold a a bit of a story in regards to that there's going to be other players as well as yourself that are decent calibre players. So obviously Craig Moore, Gordon Petridge, you know, Matt Svensson, you know, and and you go on and and you kind of think, right, okay, well, you know, this is, um, to be fair, I've never really looked. I've never really looked. I, I would not, I've never not looked at the squad and gone, for well, Mark Edworthy's there, or oh, Jamie Smith's there. Cool. I might have my as for it. no problem. Bring it on. Make yeah. the best man with. <laughs> and it will be me. <laughs> no, but that was my positivity. Uh, no, it with all seriousness, uh, that that was that was how positive that I was mm-hmm. as a player. Wow. That's how confident I was in my ability. Uh, obviously I had the uh, um I left Spurs, I needed to leave Spurs, but I had some, I had some horrific injuries, I, Well, yeah. a horrific injury, two, well, two horrific injuries, one on both knees. Um, and although I didn't realise that I was past my best then, I didn't realise that Palace were never going to see the best of me, to be fair. Spurs had my best years, to be fair. 22, 22 to 24 were my best years of my, of my career. But then I had bad injuries. Um, I didn't join Palace and think, even then, I thought, yeah, well, I've just got to change my life a little bit. I've got to manage my body a bit better. I've got, like, I had to leave Spurs. Medically, I was there was a few of us at the time were, that were seriously, seriously let down by the club mm. and, and the surgeons. Um, and, and I had to leave. But I didn't join Palace and think, right, all I thought was that like, I'm 20, I'm coming into the prime of my life yeah, okay, I've got to manage my life a little bit differently now. I've got to be a little bit more disciplined in regards to what I do in the mornings, in regards – I used to be in – I was one of the first in every day. I lived the furthest away, mm-hmm. and I was going to move to be close to to, to, to the ground and the training ground. And while my, my um, buying of an apartment was going through, Mark's then situation flipped in the January, and I was like, well, well hold on a minute, I mm-hmm. better pull the reins off here because of, – no one knew what was going to happen, but I, um, I, I just, I never looked at a squad and thought, "Oh, I'll worry about him. I'll worry about him. I'll worry about myself." And, and my view always was, "I wish I had that's my positivity in my life." <laughs> I need I some of that. No, my view just always was that, you know, if if I if I physically prepare myself well enough, um, I know that I will be good enough to get by. I felt that at 28, I probably knew the game better than what I did when I was 22. So what am yeah. I not have had at 22? I yeah. gained something when I was 28 through my experience. Yeah. And I also knew that my resilience and my determination, my application would be far better than anyone else's. I just, that was how I felt. Um, but there again, I think exactly the same way as a coach now. Yeah. But you, and again, you know, when you're a coach, it's different because... You can't control the 11 players that are on the pitch. You can only influence them. You can influence them in a week, but on a match day, you're not gonna You know, yeah, tactically, you might change something, but you're reliant on other people. But I still have the same resilience. I still have the same confidence. still have the same attitude. I still prepare. I pre- prepare. I believe I prepare the best that a coach can prepare hmm. as in regards to my diligence. Uh, and what I'm doing and and my preparation and my planning.
1: And just like those early days when you joined, I'm guessing, I mean, you played with some top, top players at Tottenham, you know, at at the highest level, but I'm guessing some of the players in training at Palace, like Lombardo and Jansen that you talked about, I mean, they must have been incredible to watch.
3: I mean, yeah, I mean, I I was, you know, I always look back, I look back with fondness of all my spells, of all my clubs, and I played with some really good players um, and I feel privileged. I feel privileged and humbled by uh, the great players that I've played, played with, the great people that I've met along the way. I'm, I'm you know, I'm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change anything. I don't have regrets because, you know, people go, "Oh, well, that must have been like they talk about Palace and they talk about the first six months." They said, "Oh, it must have been a really tough time." And he said, "Well, it was a learning experience. Yeah, it just made me even more resilient and even more determined." It's, you, you have a choice, you have a choice in life you can either lie down and accept it or you can roll your sleeves up and get on with it and, and tackle it and meet
2: it head on Just that Bristol City game where you came off at half time and I think you, you, when you spoke in the article you mentioned that Terry almost felt he had to to, to get, take you out of the firing line because it was affecting the other guys in the squad and things were It was it was weird at that point wasn't it, we were winning a lot of home games but dreadful away from home we just couldn't get that balance right at all did did that did that affect you at all then or did did that just make you think right well I'm gonna I'm gonna prove them wrong Mm.
3: well I think that I've I remember we played Portsmouth at home um it was a real muddy I think we won 4-1 yeah and the team played really well and um I made a mistake. Well, I think we were, I think it was either one one or two one in the game. And I made a I made a mistake. I think the ball came at me and it rolled under my foot or I had a bad touch and then I gave a bad pass. And I I I heard like a like a a chorus of boos. And I was kind of like, they booing me. <laughs> and I was like, give me the ball. I want the ball. Give me the ball. Yeah. That, that was always my way, and that was something that I learned when I was at Spurs. Vinny Samways was one of the best footballers I ever played with. Mm-hmm. Technically unbelievable. And I watched him have to deal with this at Spurs. We played playing one day against Sheffield Wednesday, and he used to go after the ball the way Spurs played, because we played literally under Ozzy Ardeas, We played total football. Mm. And he went after the ball to get the ball in his own box, got it off the centre-half, gave it away, and they scored Sheffield Wednesday. We lost 3-1. The next time we kicked off, the ball come back to him. He controlled it at 36,000. They booed him.
2: Yeah.
3: And I, I just saw this, guy's, I saw this guy's attitude and his mentality. He just kept going, give me the ball, give me the ball. Every time it, like, he was hot, like, we could have had a ball for him and a ball for the rest of the team. <laughs> but every time he got it, the whole, the whole crowd, 36,000, went on him. And it did not affect him one bit. And I had a conversation with him after it. About it, this and the other, and he said, they, "He said, Listen, if you are you confident in your own bit, yeah, I'm confident. Then get on the ball. <laughs> We're all going to make mistakes, man. Get on the ball and play. We're and this was his view. This is Tottenham Hotspur. This is the way that we play. Yeah. Get on the football, pass the football, and that for me was kind of my attitude. But it didn't matter to me. Like, of course, you know, it's not nice, and you, of course, you are aware." Um, I always think, that, you know, I understand and I don't think there's, that there's so much of it now. I think that obviously crowds boo teams. You know, mm-hmm. if the team's having a specific, uh, like a, a, a specifically bad time or the manager or whatever, they will normally, they will boo the team at half time or whatever when they go off if they're losing too. Many. I don't think there's so much now on the individual players. Mm-hmm. I think it, there's more on the individual players now because that, the opposing crowd are jealous of the player because he's a great player. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. For example, Wilf's a great example. Yeah. like Wilf is a great example. Everyone wants to go after Wilf
2: because Wilf's a great player. Yeah, get in team. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that um,
3: sort of in in them days when I, there was a little bit more of that. I think that you know, crowds don't, like crowds don't understand that it's not going to help the player. It's certainly not, it's certainly not going to help the team. Mm, yeah. Um, You've come to support your team. I actually remember, this is a, quite a funny story, in this moment, of, in this period, and um, I actually stopped my parents coming to the game. Well, I stopped my mum coming to the games. Wow. Um, so, my my mum and dad have uh, been my biggest supporters over my career. My mum, God bless her, she passed away 10 years ago, but my mum and my dad were were massive influences in my career and um, my mum was coming to the games and this, that and the other and I said to her after probably about, probably in the first 10 games or so, I said to her, I said, mum, like she was getting upset about it and what have you and she said, I don't know how you, you're the strongest person I know, I don't know how how you, I said, look mum, this is my job, this is what I do and this is not going to change. The only way I'm going to change it is by performing better mm-hmm. and it will because I always believe that form is temporary. You know, if you're good, you're not just going to become bad overnight. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a form. We all go through it. Um, so I actually stopped my mum from coming. I said, I said to my dad, I said, look, dad, no problem. I said, I, I know that you can handle it better than mum. If you want to come, then still come. He says, well, I, I'm coming because I want to support you. I went, well, that's up to you. Yeah. If you don't have to come. I don't need you. I know I've got your support. So I actually stopped my mum from coming. Wow. When I got back into the team, so after that spell that happened and then I, I weren't in the team for a period of time, when I actually got back in in March, um, I don't think it was – it wasn't the Bradford game. I tell you when it was, we was playing Sunderland. We <laughs> played Sunderland. I think it was a Bank Holiday Eastern Monday. Easter Monday, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, my mum said to me, oh, obviously being a bit of a glory hunter, I think I'd already scored away at Norwich <laughs> yeah. at that point. <laughs> and she said that um, oh, I want to come to the game, so I said no problem. But like, you want to come, but mum, you're gonna to have to listen to people. That don't get me wrong. That there's a there's a very much a hardcore batch of supporters at Palace that are showing me a little bit of appreciation, a little bit of love. I said, which is great. I said, but there's still a lot of cynicism against me. Yeah. I said, and you've got to be prepared to listen to it, mum. I said, and you, it's just the way it is, it's football. She said, okay. Just so come to the game. as <laughs> she was sitting in the crowd, like with the, uh, the rest of the. Um, the players' families and this, that, and the other. But where it was at Palace, you still had uh, fans that would have season tickets in certain parts. Yeah. And there was um, a young girl, I say a young girl, young lady, probably about 23, 24, sitting there with her boyfriend or her dad. And um, I'd done something, I, I don't know what it was, but I'd done something good in the game. And, and the woman went, Well, well, well played, Austin. Not that you'll get any praise from me because you've been shit for the previous six months. And my mum went, oi, who do you think you're talking about? That is my son. You need to shut your mouth. Wow. And the girl just went, oh, uh, sorry. (laughs) 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 And I just, uh, uh, my mum my mum actually become really good friends with this girl because my mum used to sit in the same seat as she sat in front. They and my mum actually, like, they used to swap coffees and flasks and sweets and all that in Amazing. the game. And I was like, oh, uh, dear, yeah, but very, very That's fun. That's brilliant.
2: That's brilliant. Stand
4: up, baby. Let me see where you're coming from. Stand up, baby. Let me see. Hey!
1: I do think sometimes fans forget that players are people with mums and dads and sons and daughters. And I think sometimes... Do you think maybe they don't often understand the full picture? Because obviously you'd come from Spurs, had that horrific injury, joining a a club with 30-whatever players. I think sometimes fans just see the Saturday afternoon, but they don't actually understand everything else in the background, all the training, all the other things behind the scenes. They just see
3: a small bit of the picture. Well, that's that's the most important thing, isn't it? The fans just... The the average fan just wants to see and come and watch their team play on Saturday and win. Mm, yeah, and and that's but that's fine. That, that that is because they go to work all week. They go work. They work hard, earn their money, pay their season ticket, and this that and the other. They live and breathe for their club. They want to come on Saturday. And for me, I, I always think that you know, just, for a professional footballer, it. Some people, like, it, it, It's for me, it's been my life. It's the best job in the world. But there is, a lot of, there is a lot of other stuff that goes well with it. Obviously, there's been a lot of stuff in regards to the mental health and this, that, and the other. You know? People yeah. have asked me, said, said to me, have you, if, do you think, you know, although that now they're trying to sort of make more of a, an effort with stuff and this, that, and the other and get people to speak out, I've got to ask the question, do you think that you have suffered from mental health in your in your career. Mm. And I look back, and 100% yes. Mm. One, 100% yes. Yeah. You can't not. Mm. But I've got to say, 98, 99 was not one of those periods. Really? It wasn't one. I've been through worse periods than that. For for me...
2: Was that the injuries, Dina? The
3: the first time, mate, was, was, yeah, in 95, between 95 and 97. Um, Or maybe even 95 to 98, actually. I would say it was over three years. Wow. Over three years, I had seven operations. I I had four operations on one knee, and then in 97 or 96, yeah, late 96 or late 97 in pre-season, I then done my other knee and it was a really bad injury I severed my cartilage in three and the surgeon said to me he said look most people would take the whole cartilage out well if I take the whole cartilage out in two years you're done mate you've Mm -hmm. just got bone on bone you'll be finished Mm -hmm. I want to I want to try something I want to try I've done it on a on a a normal person like a a general public person but I haven't done this on a footballer before Um, your cartilage is basically it's it's severed it's severed in three so I want to do it so I want to take a chunk of it out but I want to repair the other two bits so I'm going to stitch it and staple it back together <sighs> um but you prob- what's going to happen then is that you're going to have a long re- recovery it's going to be you're going to be in a brace for the best part of three months so I said, well, what's going to happen to the staples? He said, well, they're going to dissolve and you're going to pee them out. I was like, oh my, oh my God. <laughs> um, so it was um, between 95 and 90, and 90, I'd say late 97, I definitely was suffering. I was, to be fair, I was, I thought it was all over. Um, I thought it was all over. I was drinking far too much I was going out far too much and it was only when my surgeon I sat down with my surgeon in sort of probably December time I had the operation in the middle of September mm-hmm. and he sort of said to me he said as you need feel and I went no that feels a bit crap to be fair I don't really feel and he sort of said well I want you to I'm going to need you to be really really honest with me And I said, right. He said, I want you to tell me exactly what you're doing and what you are eating, what you are drinking, and I'm being, being, you've got to be. If you don't, if you're not honest with me, I I can't help you. Yeah. So he said to me, um, gave my diet and what have you. My diet was not too bad. I've always eaten pretty well. I'm probably the same now. but he said to me, right, alcohol. And I went, Yeah. He says, how many nights a week are you drinking? I went, probably five, maybe six. Going out, what have staying in? It? No, I'm going out. Wow. Right, okay. On average, what are you drinking? Well, who knows? Ten bottles of butter a night, maybe, a few shots, then this is your problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, you've got a choice. He said, you can either, if if you want to get back to playing, and I believe I've scanned this knee and there's no reason, it's healing on the inside. He said, there's no reason why you can't have your career back. He said, but you, if I was you, and that that was it. That was all I needed. Mm -hmm. Always been disciplined
1: like that. And I was like, bang, wallop on. And then, woof, within two and a half months, I was back playing. I guess at that time as well, mental health support just wasn't something that people yeah. spoke about, especially not, you know, blokes. And I'm guessing especially not sort of in a football environment.
3: Well, I think that there's two, there's two things. I think I, I'm, not, I'm not a great one, to be honest with you. Now, if I had a problem, would I go and see someone? Yes, I would. Would I spout it all over social media and say, I've got a problem, I'm going to see it. It's good, good. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I think it's private. I don't think that you need to come out. And say that you're suffering from mental health, but I think what you do need to do is that you need to find the people that can support you and help you with it. Mm. Uh, But that was the first time. That was the first time. Um, The second time I was at Palace as a coach back in 2010. From um, I'd watched my mum fight cancer for 10 years, breast cancer twice, lumpectomy, double mastectomy. And then just when we thought that she was coming through it and got back, she got a brain, brain, brain tumour, which killed her inside 14 months. Jeez, God. Um, and that was the stage that I was there, obviously working with George and Dougie. And um, I threw myself into my work like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Really doing dual roles, but I was working stupid, like stupid hours, um, coming straight back after three, four times a week going straight to the hospice to see my mum. Mm. Um, And then she passed away in in the beginning of December of that season. And um, I just bottled everything up and just wouldn't speak to anyone, become a recluse at home. Um, Nearly lost, could have lost my marriage through it, to be honest with you. Um, Obviously, Dougie sacked me in the... In the May at the end of their season, and my and my wife, I come home and I was really really upset. And my wife basically said, "Thank, thank God for that." Really, it's it's the best thing that could happen for us at this moment in time. Dave. If this if this hadn't happened, uh, we will come back from this. Hmm. I can't handle it anymore.
1: This this is the thing you you don't often know what's going on in people's no,
3: lives. No, but you know it's not, it's, it, it's not you know it's. To be honest with you, it's hard for me to actually speak to you about it now because it was a very, very sad time in my life. And, you know, I, the most important person who had been in my life, which was my mum, I, I watched and i just seen what had happened and I, I just never gave myself any time to grieve. I think I took yeah. two days off. I took wow. the day off that she actually died. She died four o'clock in the morning. I rung in, I spoke to Dougie. I said, Dougie, I'm not like, can you tell George I'm not coming in today? He went, no problem, take as long as you want. I went, no, I'll be back in tomorrow. I just need to sort a few things today, and I took the day off for a funeral, which was two weeks after, and that was it. I just, never, but you know, if I, you know, look at situations, I think that as it was, I think I'd have got that situation again. I think that when, um, when I obviously George went in the at the Christmas. And then Dougie asked me to be assistant and I just didn't feel that I could give him everything that he needed. I didn't think, I thought he needed something more than me at that time. I just didn't feel that I could give him everything that I needed to give him. At that point, that was the point that I should have turned around to him and said, listen, mate, I need to take a couple of weeks here.
4: Yeah.
3: If I was have to, with hindsight, to go back to ever experience that I would have gone, mate, I, I need to take a couple of weeks here. I just need to. Uh, I need to get a little break or something. I need to go abroad just to switch off. And mm. I've been living. I've been living this life, and it's. I'm literally. Dis- I'm destroying. I'm. I'm destroying everything that's around me, which I was. Mm. You know, I, I had at that time. I had twins that were twins that were coming up three, and another boy that was just coming up six, and. Listen, I, um, I've got to say that of all the all the negativity regards to the pandemic at the minute, I've got to say I've had eight wonderful weeks with my kids being with my kids all <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah, but yeah. And yeah. they are, and they are the fifteen-year-olds coming up sixteen, and the twins are thirteen now. Mm. And it's time that you can't get back. Mm. I yeah. lost a lot of time. I lost a lot of time at that time. Um, and say so in two thousand and ten was, like, 2010, 2011 were very, very, very dark days for me. Very, very dark days for me. Um, but i come out, I come out of it, and to be fair, i come out of it with wonderful support from my wife. She said, I said, I, I actually admitted to her that I had a problem. Yeah. And that's the first thing, that's the first thing, really, to admit you've got a problem. And, um... She said, you've got to stop becoming, bit, stop becoming bitter with the world because mm-hmm. I was bitter.
4: Yeah,
3: I was bitter. I, I was very, very bitter. But come out of that and then all of a sudden I've, I've sort of come around a different way. I, I live my life a different way now, a lot more self-aware. Um, I think that um, I'm pretty... A lot of times, I, I do I, I do things for other people before thinking of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot more selfless, um, but that's not to say that I, I haven't had a because uh, I did. Uh, like when I left Watford, when I moved from Watford um, in 2015, uh, we I went there and we got promotion to the Premier League. Then I worked with Kiko Flores, mm-hmm. and then I sort of got. Got, got left sort of dangling sort of at the end of the year no one really knew what was happening when I left Watford because um, mm-hmm. I had 18 months where it was and, and people say about and, and it's no one's fault it's football you know mm-hmm. it, You know, people move from clubs all the time it's football you accept it but if you can imagine it's a, if you can imagine and it's the only way that I can kind of put it and I don't know I, by the way I don't know what it actually feels like, but taking drugs and getting that high, Mm -hmm. when you're taking drugs and you're craving that next fix, I had 18 months of incredible highs at Watford. We got promotion. Like we got promotion to the Premier League. We went in the Premier League. Everyone said we was going to get get relegated. Obviously, we didn't. We stayed in the Premier League. Easy. We had the semi final. We obviously lost the Palace in the semi final. Mm-hmm. But that was when all the nonsense was was being reported with regards to Kike going to go. Um, but all those highs. 18 months of highs. Bang, bang, bang. Every day. Every day was a high. It was amazing. Thinking, Hold on a minute. What's going on? Something's got to go wrong at some point. High. Another high. Get up the next day. Another high. Wonderful place to go and work every day. Everyone was smiling every day. Mm-hmm. You're going in, you're winning games, you then go, right, I go the form then dips a little bit but then you have to run to the semi-final, run uh, running the FA Cup, running alongside it. Mm-hmm. So you're still getting the highs, you still getting the highs and then you get to the end of that and then, whoosh, yeah. someone just takes your legs out.
4: Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, and I think that when you're in football, you, you know being in football is like a roller coaster ride. Right? You're riding this roller coaster up all the time. It's up and downs. You're riding it all the time, and it's about you being resilient. But when you when you're having a, a period of your career that you're being very very successful, and you're getting this drug of high, 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 the low. When you hit the low it becomes a lot harder it it becomes it becomes hard to bounce
2: back from proper shock to the system
1: yeah Yeah, it's um it's really interesting hearing you be open about that and i I really appreciate it and i think you never know who might be listening to this podcast who might have gone through difficult moments who actually might be able to relate to that and you never know who's listening who who might be helped by that so i really appreciate your 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 honesty with all that and the business thing is interesting because as you were Saying that, I was thinking back to 98, 99 and thinking it would have been very easy for you to have been bitter about the situation and about Palace and about the injuries and everything. And it's interesting that actually you were saying, you know, it was almost the exact opposite, that you were just cracking on doing anything. Because Palace were going to sell you, weren't they, during that period of time? Yeah, I
3: mean, to be fair, Mark Mark, make me. I mean, to be fair, I was um, he, he he came on the phone to me. I think two two days before the window closed. I mean, it was loads of talk in the lead up to that, to actually going in administration and you. But he called me and said, "Look, Dean, I, I need you to leave. I've got two two clubs for and need need you to go." So I sort of said, "Well, I, you know, I've got a bit of a problem at the minute because you know I'm getting divorced and I've got four I've got a four year old son."
4: Yeah. And I don't really, I mean, how ironic
3: that, you know, he tried to sell me to two clubs in Scotland and two years after, two years after we come out of it, my son actually moved to Scotland <laughs> with his mum. I had no, um, I at never at any point when I was at Crystal Palace, in that season, in that 98, 99 season, Never did I wake up in the morning and think, oh, I don't want to go to work today. Ever. I did in the last year. In the 2002-2003 season, I did wake up in the morning and think, okay oh, here we go. I've got to go in there. Mm. But not in 98, 99.
2: Did you feel uh... a... Stand baby. Yeah.
4: Let me see where you coming from. Stand yeah. up, baby. Yeah. Let me see. Hey! Hit me. <laughs>
2: As as the players left, I mean we, we lost six on transfer deadline day. We'd already sold the crown jewels of Janssen and Lombardo. D- did you feel then, once you've been given your chance after your conversation with with Steve Koppel and with Simon Patterson, the administration as well, did you feel an extra responsibility because you were a senior player amongst a squad of extremes when you had your Andy Linigans and your Kevin Millers and and, and yourself, but you also mm. had a load of kids, because I mean that Norwich there were eight, weren't they, in the squad for the match day squad? That were twenty or under.
3: Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. I think that did I feel an obligation? I'm not going to say I felt an obligation. I had a, I had a, I had an inner determination to go right. Okay, I, I'm gonna. Uh, there's an opportunity here. I'm gonna pick this up. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pick this up, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna and I'm going to drag people along with me type thing. Mm. Um, I wasn't so much worried about the kids. Um, looking at people like Clinton, um, Hayden, yeah. That already had a little taste of it, and I had already seen enough in those. I mean, I've worked with some top young players and seen top young players through my career in the 10 years previous to that. Mm. And there was... not I'd seen enough in these, in those two particularly, to think that they would go on and have top careers. Yeah. So I was right in that anyway, because they, they have they did. The others with the others coming in, I sometimes feel that in a situation of adversity, in something of real, real pressure, that sometimes youth youthful exuberance is can be more beneficial to a group than um, experienced players that would be worrying um, about what's going on and what the situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced this when I was at South End. So, when I was at South End, when I signed for South End in 1990, the 89 90 season, David Webb, who's again one of my, he's again another major influence in my career. Um, with seven or eight games to go in league in League Two, as it is League Two now, but Division Four as it was then. Mm. He had a team of experienced players that had took him at the high end of that of that table during that season. And at the end of the as the transfer window was finishing, he went out and signed. Four or five young players, me, me being one of them, but myself, Andy, and something it was, mm-hmm. um, Adam Locke, who came come on loan from Crystal oh, Palace, uh, Mark Cooper came on loan from Exeter, and he signed four of us on this day. And he had this experienced experience team, and they'd been up there. They'd been in the top three all season. And i signed, I'd been there about two, three weeks. And we went to Maidstone, Maidstone were in the football league then. And they lost 4-0. We, got, we lost 4-0. I wasn't playing, I was, I was, he said to me before the game, he said, look, this is you to smell it, this experience is a bit of a local derby. It's going to be a packed house here. I want to see, I want you to see what you, it's going to be a bit of a cauldron, but I want you to experience the cauldron. Mm-hmm. went, well, right, like, okay. He said to me after the game, he said, right, that's it. All you young'uns are go, going in on Tuesday night.
4: Wow. <laughs>
3: Away to Burnley. Away to Burnley. Burnley were in the old fourth division then. Still still getting crowds, 12, 13,000, yeah. he said. And, and like they were trying to get in the playoffs, he said, the older, the older boys have bottled it. Wow. He said, so, um, <laughs> yeah, a few of them are going to stay in. He said, but half of them are gone. They're not going to play again. They're not going to put the young'uns in. And we went in, and it was like we drew nil, we drew nil, nil. I mean, we won. I think mean, we won six, five or six of our last eight games. We got promoted on the last day of the season to White Peterborough right. in front of twelve thousand. But I've got to be honest with you. On that day, I sat at the back of the bus on that day going to from the hotel to Peterborough's ground, and uh, the club captain. So I was a guy called Paul Clark. Real great guy, great guy, great professional. And he was about 32, 33 at the time, maybe even older than that. And I sat at the back of the bus, and as we've come in, it was like it was pretty scary stuff. It's like you're going in, and there's just fans everywhere absolute everywhere. It is rammed. And he obviously looked at me and thought, I, 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 I don't know whether this boy's got the minerals <laughs> for this job. Like. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he went, you all right, boy? And I went, yeah, yeah, all right. He went, you're nervous? I went, yeah, I'm a bit. He went, listen, son, it's just another game. It's just another game. Just go and play. And I just felt anger. Yeah. <laughs> all this wake <weight, laughs> half my shoulders, we went out, played, um, I had a, in that game actually I had a, a Portsmouth scenario. I got split across my <laughs> top of my eye. Um, I had five stitches. I, I had it patched up. I had five stitches at half time and went on and played second half. Um, but I, I, th- I don't know. I think you know that. Um, I, I, I think that you everyone's made in a certain way, and I was just made that way. I, but that was something that was instilled in me by my dad. Uh, Tom Wally as a youth team coach. They were just things that were instilled in me as I was growing up. You know, my leg would be hanging off or whatever, but still, I I remember playing in the game actually for for, for, for Tottenham. We played at North County and it was a bad night. It was a bad bad night for us. We were two 0 down early, very early in the game. That was in League League Two or League Four. Mm-hmm. We were in the Premier League under Ozil Deles, and I got, I got. Uh, a guy's gone over the top in attack, or I've gone in attack. he's gone straight over the top and he's left uh, a gash down my down the inside of my shin oh. that was like that and it was opened by oh, probably that Jesus. and um <laughs> physio came on and went and we're 2-0 down and you know it's, it's very very easy for people to go well yeah I'll take the easy option and, oh, I'm gone see you later <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like no, no chance mate You just put some pad on that. Just stop the bleeding for a bit. We'll look at it at half-time. I ain't going nowhere. We're 2-0 down here. We've got to get out of this. As it was, we lost (laughs) 3-0. And I carried on. But I still made myself available for the next game. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the manager decided to do the dirty on me and after telling me I was going to play, not play me. Um, But it's just... I don't know. It's just just, just the way I'm made. It's just that something comes out. I think I'm a different, I think i become a different animal when I go into football mode.
2: <laughs> that was a special go, day though, wasn't it? Like the, Nor- the Norwich away game. Oh, I
3: mean, it's, um, you know, that special memories that you that will live with you forever. You yeah. know, you don't, you know, people say to me, people say to me, um, I think I'd done a, an interview a couple of years ago for the, for the Palace website um, and they was talking about my top three moments and what have you, and one of the moments, and, and they put down the, the top moment was was Stockport, Stockport away, and I went, nah, <laughs> no <laughs> chance. And they went, why not? I went, well, how can you celebrate finishing fourth from bottom mm. of the table? Yeah. It, look, you can celebrate at the time because of. How the season's mapped out and how you come to that point. And again, you know, the roller coaster again that I'm talking about, still two incredible highs, you know, Portsmouth away, Stockport away. We had to win and results had to go our way for us to get out of trouble. So there is the euphoria around uh, the Stockport game. And I I understand that. And I think that, and, and I think though, I also think that, and I look back to people like, um, Dougie, uh, Aki Realate, um Clinton, Hayden Mullins—those guys experienced that euphoria on that day. What it what it really, really felt like. Mm. What it really felt like. Okay, for example, Dougie had had it before with the other with the the previous Palace team that he played in and what have you. But for them young boys to experience that euphoria. It's a great experience to experience to go. If that's what it feels like, Mm. what's it going to feel like if we really won something? If if we were to do really well, and I think four years after, for example, four years after Ian Dowie got the team promoted with those boys playing in that team. You have to experience, you have to have those experiences. If you have those experiences, that rollercoaster, hopefully those experiences make you want to be winners. Yeah. But there isn't enough winners in the, For me, I was watching a caption last night on Sky Sports, and I'm, I'm not going to say who the people were or who the two teams were, but I'm watching people in the tunnel high-fiving each other with the other team. i fiving how you doing, mate? How's the missus? All right, yeah? <laughs> Kids good? Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. You're having a laugh, mate. I couldn't do that. When I was... I would play, I, I played against, I, I've had a story. One of, my, be, one of my, my oldest schoolmate, my oldest schoolmate is is like my best friend. Like we're 50 now. We went to school and played together in a team from when we were seven years old. And he's a, he's a plumber now. And he comes round my house. He does my work. He does work for me and what have you. And then my kids sat there. My kids sat there one day and we was having a laugh at a joke. And we sometimes, often reminisce about our funny school days. I mean, my kids, I mean, our wives, when we go out for a meal, our wives go, here they go. <laughs> our favourite story, for example, was when we was making a Victoria sponge in cooking class and we mixed some young kid's ingredients and boiled his eggs. <laughs> so when he went to crack his eggs, he could crack his, <laughs> his, his eggs. So we had these funny things. And my boys, when he comes around, and goes, Steve, you got any great stories? Are you and Dan have stories. We start talking. And I said, what was dad like when he, when he played football at school? Like when he played you with the playground, he went, I'll tell you what your dad was like. He went, I'll show you this. And he pulled up his, he pulled up his trouser oh, no. and he showed this scar down the side of his shin. He said, now this, this was in 1983. He said, we were 12 at the time. He says, it was our last day at term and we was allowed to play football in woodwork but they wouldn't let me and your dad go on the same teams because we were the best players. So we had to be team captains. This is what your dad did to me because he wanted to win. <laughs> and that is just the way it is. I I, I played last year in the uh, Palace for Life Foundation game. I remember, yeah. And um, about two minutes before the end, I don't know what the score was. Either we were winning by one or it was a draw and the ball went went loose. And Neil Ashton, the ball was going to Neil Ashton and it was probably 60-40 in his favour. <laughs> but I weren't pulling out. He did. <laughs> he went to me, he went, once I saw you coming, that was it. I was getting out of the way of that. But it is, you, you go, like now, honestly, I couldn't play now because my knee, my knee has really deteriorated in the last six months. Mm. And I've needed half a new knee for seven years. But because I exercise and look after myself, you know, and keep my strength up and eat well, and I I'll carry on. But I couldn't play now. But when you, when I, even when I went on that pitch on that day last year, last year went on. Sellers got a kit on. The old goosebumps have gone up in the back of the neck, and you, you just go into you go into a mode.
1: Oh, I do anyway. Yeah, I remember in that game, because I was playing with Neil in a back three, uh, and I remember going for a shoulder-to-shoulder challenge with you and about halfway through it thinking, why am I going shoulder-to-shoulder with Dean Austin? This is an absolutely (laughs) terrible idea. And I bounced (laughs) off about 10 yards off you, I think. It was one of the worst decisions of my life. Going back to the Norwich game, I've got a question here from one of our listeners that I meant to read out earlier. His name's Joe Lee. And he says, just let Dean know... (laughs) that my mum wrote a letter to Terry Venables to say that she didn't agree with the fans giving him grief during games. He never showed me that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So you did, you know, you did, there were support from some people, but I'm wondering, was the Norwich game, or was there another game before that maybe, where you thought, oh, actually, I'm getting the fans on side here. The tide's turning in my favour. I'm starting to win them over.
3: I, I don't think you ever. I don't ever think that. I don't. I don't ever think like that. To be honest with you, I never did. I, 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 listen. I. All the clubs that I've played for, all the clubs that I work for, I ingrain myself in 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 the club. Once I go into the, the club, you know, I I, I make myself accessible, um, and I and I grow a love for the club. If I did, I don't. If I, if I didn't, um, if I didn't, um, if I didn't, I, I think you have to be that way. You have to show the love for the club, like. And to be fair, I I, did, I, I still love going to work at Palace every day, even when I wasn't playing. You know, the only, you know, I always try and take the positive out of the negative, like in a negative situation. And I've got to be honest with you, the greatest gift that I've I've been given through my career was my wife. And I met my wife. My my wife was at at university and was working part-time at the David Lloyd Centre in Bushy. And I met my wife on a Saturday afternoon when I could have been playing for Palace, but I wasn't. But because I wasn't playing, I used to go to the gym. I could not sit at home. And watch Jeff Stelling on the TV with the guys on a Saturday afternoon when the guys were out playing. Yeah. So when they were playing, I'd go to the gym and work like I have a serious workout. And that is how I met my wife. And we've been together for the best part of nearly twenty-one years. That's amazing.
2: We we need a context for for that Norwich game and for Dino. Dino's reputation with the fans, and, and the reality was, okay, that they they played Bradford, who were going for promotion the previous week, and Dino, I think you played in that match as well, didn't yeah, you, I, yeah, yeah, But at that point, okay, that was just after the transfer window, and we'd lost five or six players had gone. The subsequent week, the administrator had actually come in at Palace. That was the first his first week in the job, and on his first day, he'd made forty six people redundant, yeah, including. Pete King, rest in rest in peace. Yeah, um, yeah. Who passed away recently.
4: Yeah,
2: um, so forty six people had gone. It for, for for the supporters, that was a club that was unraveling. It was it was going. It was disappearing before our eyes here. Yeah. Um, and when we all went to Norwich, and I was a fan in the in the crowd at Norwich that day, that group of supporters needed to see a team. That cared still for Palace. We needed something to cling on to, yeah. and we could easily cling on to the young players because they would come through Palace and they, they yeah. were Palace as well. But what we what we needed more than anything else was was an older head, someone that that could easily have walked out, someone who was you know, some someone who was turning it around before our eyes, and that's what Dino provided. I mean, it, it, look, it added to the whole glitz and glamour. Him scoring the winning goal that day added to it all, obviously but we we were seeing a player reviving on the pitch as a palace player, and that's just what we needed at the time. We needed something to cling on to a bit of hope and we we saw that with he personified that Dino you know, that day
3: yeah, I think um from my point on when it was very, very hard. When the administrator came in and he said, right, he said, um, I'm making all these people redundant, blah, 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 da, 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 da. Uh, anyone who's earning over, I'm not sure, I think it was over, I'm not sure if it was over 60,000. If you was earning over 60,000, you would have to take a 50% cut, or if you was earning over 50,000, you'd have to take a 60%. It was one of those two. Um, to be honest with you, it, it never... It never come in my head. I, I thought, well, at the end of the day, I'm going to have enough money to pay my bills. Hmm. I'm going to have enough money to pay my bills. And in the process, it's going to help a certain amount of people stay in work. Yeah. So it's, that's a given. Forget it. I'm not bothered by that. That is not this – is, this is the situation. If I'd wanted to jump, I could have jumped two weeks previously or whatever it was the week previously. Mm-hmm. I could have jumped. But I didn't, because I didn't want to. I didn't think that it was right for me. I didn't think it was right for my family. And I still felt I had something that I had to get. I needed to prove myself. Mm. And I wanted people to see, okay, they were never going to see the best version of Dean Austin as a footballer. But I wanted them to see the best version of Dean Austin as a person. And uh, I had the, uh, that I, I I had the I had the mineral for the job, if you like. Mm. So leading up to the Sunderland game, and obviously in, in the Sunderland game I played right wing back in that on that day. Um now I hadn't played I hadn't played for however many months a full game. Not a full game in the first team, but I think it showed me that how how resilient, how mentally resilient I was, but also how fit I was. Mm. All those times going in, not moaning and groaning. I mean, cops said something about me, very, like a really nice thing in the pro in one of the programs of, of that leading up in that at the end of that season about that. I never come in. I never griped, I never moaned. Was never. I was never never a negative influence um, coming. I probably, the way that, or the treatment that I was getting, I probably deserved to be moaning more than anyone else, but I never did. I just come in, I got on with my work. I worked hard, which I did. I went away. I still worked hard. I used to do some days, I used to do two training sessions a day. I'd go back home and train again at the gym. Saturdays, I never had a day off if we weren't training because there wasn't anyone in the club to train us when the team was away. I would, I didn't sometimes, I didn't go to the home games as well. You know, I kept myself away because it was so hard to not be playing. So I'd go away and train. In the lead up to that game, Steve actually pulled me, probably the game was on a Sunday. He pulled me either on the Friday or the Saturday. And he said, look, he said, I've, I've spoke to the administrators. I I want to use, I, I want you to play. But you've obviously, you are due, and I will tell you the sum of money it was, he said, but you are, you've got £2,000 appearance money for every game that you play. Mm. And they don't want me to play you because we can't yeah. afford it. Mm. I've gone, Steve, oh, not Steve, I'll call him Steve now. I don't actually, I'll call him Gaffer, <laughs> I'll still call him Gaffer. <laughs> I just said Gaffer. I said, forget the money, just put me on the pitch. Mm. I need to play. You need me to play. And he went, I need you to play. I went, then tell him. Stuff the money. I don't need, need the money. Well oh, well, I do need the money, but I don't want the money. Put me on I need, I I want to be on the pitch more than I want the money.
2: Yeah.
3: Put me on the pitch. He went, right, job, job, job done. Finished. Don't need to speak anymore. I'll I'll, I'll speak to him. So that was that. I played right wing back in that game. The, the following game in, in the uh, the Norwich game, we played three at the back. But I played I played in the three at the back, and uh, I think James Smith played right wing back. But I actually played in the three at the back. Um, actually, stepping on the field on that day, and I have got to tell you before we before that game,
4: Norwich was uh, Carrow Road was always my favourite was always my favorite
3: ground oh, wow. of all the grounds that I've got I go to, I've been to, Norwich City was my favorite ground. I'd never mm-hmm. lost there. I played there four or five times for Spurs and I'd never lost there and I, I loved I loved going to Carrow Road. We went to Carrow Road on this day. we traveled up on the day which is a long old journey you know to go on the day uh, slept on the bus a bit. Um, pre-match and this, that and the other, got there and like uh, thinking, Poof, you know, sometimes we have those long journeys like that, longer than what you should have on the day of a game. Yeah, didn't we get there late?
2: Yeah, Andy know yeah, said but, you got there late, you got stuck in traffic.
3: But you kind of, like, the build-up you're feeling <laughs> on, the, on the journey and like, you're having your pre-match, and you feel a bit lethargic because, like, you know, you've got stretched your legs out and what have you. Yeah. You're kind of, Poof, you're kind of mentally not feeling... Particularly great, more because you mentally is telling you physically that you don't feel great. Then we got, and the, that probably was a blessing to get there late. Was probably a, a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you. Dived in the dressing room, would get changed quick. Don't have any time to think. Bang, straight out for the warm up. Yeah, when you hit yeah. out there, and it, was a, it was a beautiful day, and you enter that thing, and you just as soon as you come out over that far side, you see red and blue. It was. Packs mm. It was packed, red and blue, and the and the noise that they made, and the support that you felt as soon as you as soon as you got out into the arena, you uh, it it was just a, it, again it just gave you a ma- it was just gave you a massive massive lift, massive massive lift, um, and, and then the game just unfolded from there really, I, I don't really remember much about the game, I remember obviously I remember scoring the goal because I, I didn't score that <laughs> but um, yeah, it's um, you know, it's a, a special day you know, afterwards you know, and I, I just like being reduced to tears really, people in the crowd pulling you, pulling you into the crowd and like they were crying like because they see you crying and Thanking you for what you've done, and thanks for staying. And you know, it. You know, it was. Uh, I was just do, just just doing my job, love. Really, yeah. mm. you know, you, you cannot. Uh, I've never been one to, although riding the roller coaster as we always do, it's hard to control the roller. It's hard to control the roller coaster, uh, to keep it on on a on a level field, but. You know, once the euphoria of that game, you've had it. You then have the following day where the euphoria goes, and then you you're you're on it because you're physically, physically yeah. and mentally shattered. Mm. So then it's all about the recovery. So you soon forget mm. it. But even if it was only for half an hour, an hour after or with the game, and you have that. They are they are special, special uh, memories, special times that you you
1: never you never uh, lose. You know. Yeah, I mean, it was a very emotional time to be a fan, and really that that sort of that administration of '99 it then has such an effect on the following few seasons. You know, we stayed up just about the season after with Ashley Cole and and uh, Michael Forsell coming in, and the season after was Stockport. And my abiding memory is you headband on arguing with the stewards because they weren't going to let you come out and applaud the fans. And we were all down the front saying, you know, we were, where's the palace or something like that. I can't remember. I
3: think, as I said to you, I think that it's very, one of the reasons was, well, there's two reasons really why I really wanted, why we needed to go out. The first was that it'd been a pretty traumatic season from February onwards where we never won a game until Portsmouth. I mean, mm. I think on February the 3rd, I think it was around about February the 3rd, we beat Burnley away to be, I think, 11th in the table. We were 13 points away from relegation. We didn't win another game. I, we hardly won a game after that. Mm. Uh, oh, well, we won at home to Crewe. I remember we won at home to
2: Crewe. You remember that because he scored?
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> said, Dom, I didn't score many, mate. Um, so um, it was. Um, it was two reasons. The first reason was was that we had incredible support, and people had stuck with us, um, and we needed to go out and say thank you to those people that had done that. And the second thing was the thing that I spoke to you about before. I wanted those young players to experience the euphoria of what it felt like to be a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it because that is ultimately in elite sport that is what it's about people only remember the winning and the losing I've got a different mindset now for me I'm I'm a developer I like to develop people I like to work with players I like to build relationships with players to help them become winners Mm -hmm. if I can help them become winners then they help me become a winner so my whole thing is about developing helping people because Dom alerted to it earlier. At the end of the day, footballers, at the end of the day, they're only human beings. Yeah. We're all human beings. And you have to treat people well. You have to treat people with respect. And be, and be nice to each other. That's why I don't get all this, as I said to you, I don't get all this, negative, all this negative writing at the moment with the government and people having an opinion on everything and we should do this and we shouldn't do that. And the Premier League, they shouldn't play because of this. And League One can't do it. At the end of the day, you, you, you're playing with people's lives. You know, it's all right for people to have opinions. We spoke about the mental health side, and they're saying, yeah, talk to people, but you don't need to splurge it all over social media. It's like, I, I, I only, I, I try, I, I stop myself. Whenever I feel negative and I feel that I'm going to post something, I don't post it. I come away from it. I put it in a draft. Yeah. I only try and ever post stuff that's positive stuff. And try and look on the on the brighter side.
4: Stand up, baby. Yeah. Let me see where you coming from. Stand up, babe. Yeah. Let me see. Hey, uh.
2: hey, it's Jesse Kelly. We are for the most part a reactionary society. If your neighbor has a break-in, you think about getting an alarm. If your buddy gets laid off, you say, I better buckle down at work. If banks start closing, you may want to ask yourself if you should keep most or all of your money in a bank. It may be time for a portfolio protection plan.
0: It may be time to have a little personal gold reserve. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more.
1: Dane, it's been really, really fascinating talking to you today about these memories and and your thoughts on stuff, but I'm going to wrap it up in a minute, but the overriding impression I'm getting is that, and you literally just said the words then, sort of fairness and respect and being fair to people seems to be a big thing for you. In particular, going back out to thank the fans at Stockport, you know, talking about the fans at Norwich, the Palace fans that were good to you, clearly that means a lot to you, and so it would be common sense for you then to thank them for that and I've not played football so I don't know if a lot of footballers are like that maybe some can sort of take and leave the fans or whatever but for you clearly that's a big part of the game and being fair back to the fans when they've been fair to you is is an important thing
3: yeah I think that um, I think that's why I think that the game has become now why why fans love to see their own players come through now. I think it's really really important in the game. Um, I think that you know you, you you look at a Wilfred for example that like he's the darling of the supporters and what have you, and rightly so you know, he's a fantastic player and I've been fortunate enough to coach him. Um, but you can tell that it means something to, him. and mm-hmm. I think that when supporters can relate. To listen, don't, don't get me wrong. You have you have uh, players from abroad come over, and they ingrain themselves in the club, and they are taken to the heart of the supporters, and, and, the, and the supporters love them, and you can see that the the player genuinely, genuinely loves the club, and I, I think it's so important. But there is a lot now that you see a lot of players, you know that trying to talk too much through the media that are at massive, massive clubs in this country that it's pretty obvious that they don't really give a monkeys about the club. They just care about their bank balance and what it does for them and what's the world going to do for them and what's their club going to do for them. My view always is, is what are you going to do for your club? Because there are lots and lots of people that spend extortionate amount of money on season tickets and travelling up and down the country to come and watch you play and those okay in a small way now with the sums of money that's in the game they're probably contributing a minute amount to those players wages but without fans there's no game players managers coaches chairmen owners CEOs come and go all replaceable, all replaceable. They can be disposed of and they can be replaced. Fans never be, will never be. Fans are there forever. And that's why my personal view is that you, you know, my last job, my second last job when I was at Northampton, I had an unbelievable relationship with the Northampton supporters. Now, there was probably when I left, To only get 10 games is disappointing. But that was not one of those moments when I had come away feeling that I was suffering mentally. Because the first thing is that I knew what we had done and I knew the improvements that we had made. And the second thing was was that I knew that I wasn't given a fair opportunity. You talk about Mm -hmm. fair again. 10 games is not fair. I I, I signed up for a two-year project and I knew I'd i in me, in Dean Austin's head, in the positive mind that I have, I knew I would have got them promoted. Maybe not last year, but this year, I knew when I had the opportunity and I'd got myself on an even playing field, because I wasn't I wasn't managing off an even playing field at the time because of the players that we had in the building that I'd inherited that all wanted to leave, which I, again, mm. they're human beings and I totally understood it but you've got to be batting off an even playing field. But even when I left, 60% of the fans, 65% of the fans felt I should stay. But a few people on social media that were getting into the chairman made him decide that he needed to replace me. That's his prerogative. I have no problem with that. But I know that in my mind, I'm a better manager and a better coach than what I was then. I also felt that I was a better coach and a better manager than the guy that they brought in. I knew that because of the levels that I've been at and the things that I've experienced. So, but relationships with supporters, and I still get people now. You know, I get people, I've got made I made, I've made great friends at every single club that I've been at. And I haven't been at loads of clubs. But I can turn around and go, there's people, there's supporters. You know, I still get requests to do stuff now, and I still do it. And i still got friends at Southend that were employed at Southend back in 1990. Tottenham, yes, without a doubt. There's people there now that were there when I was there. I still have supporters now contact me for stuff and ask me to do things, which I have done in this lockdown, regardless of the request to go on certain shows, etc., etc., Palace, yes, hundred um, percent. Watford, yes, hundred percent all the time. I get because it's still a club that's quite close to me. I, I don't live that far away, mm. um, so I still get requests with that. Northampton, yeah, it's about relationships and it's about people, and you have to have respect for people. You have to be nice to people. I understand that it's there a Saturday is what they've waited their whole week for. As a footballer, as a coach, it's what you've worked your whole week for. Mm. They don't care what you've done. All they want to see is the end product. But you, yeah. they've worked up their, their whole week for this day. We've worked our whole week up for this day, and now we've got to try and produce it for them. We'll get them going home so they can go in with a smile on their face and have another good week at work so they've got a smile on their face and so they come back the next week it's All about relationships
1: and people, man. It's been so fascinating talking to you. And if I could employ you as my life coach at some point, <laughs> that would be great because uh, I'm feeling uplifted just from this <laughs> chat. Um, mate, thank you so much for your time. We've had a real sort of proper delve into the memory box there, and it's been absolutely wonderful, uh, going back over it with you. So thank you so much for joining us, Dina.
3: Absolute pleasure, mate.
1: Thank you too. Anytime, That's, top top man, and Dom as ever. I mean, you're basically a regular on the podcast these days, so it's great to have you here as well. Oh, it was
2: fascinating. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Brilliant. And Dom, do you want to do the, the Athletic sign-off? Or do you no, want me no, to do no you can
2: go for that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm
1: not going near that. <laughs> Just a reminder, the Athletic are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the oldest professional football club in the world. Subscription-based website and app, completely ad-free, no nine pop-ups. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk, forward slash you can get a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. And I would recommend the rebooted season uh, series, the Palace articles, and the other clubs as well. It's very, very worth your time. And that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Party's Hot Pants, our latest nostalgic episode. We hope you are keeping safe and well, and we will see you again very soon. <laughs>